It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast, coming in 3, 2, 1. It's Space Radio. This is Paul Sartre, and coming up, we're talking about is the universe lopsided? And, of course, they can listen to our questions about all things in this amazing universe, because that's exactly what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can follow along online or leave a voicemail by going to spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, we'll be talking about models in the time of corona. But first, the news. Hello, space cadets. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Stony Brook University and the Flatiron Institute. And for the next half hour, your agent to the stars. We've got an exciting show for you today where we talk about all the amazing, cool, mysterious, and interesting things in the universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern here in Spaceman Studios in New York City. So leave a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com to get yourself on the air. You can also follow Follow along with our space cadets tuning in live from around the world in a very socially distant manner, including but not limited to Austin, Texas, Ireland, Serbia, San Francisco, Cordoba, Argentina. I love Cordoba, Urbana, Illinois. Urbana is okay. I went to grad school there, so I can, I'm allowed to make that judgment. It's okay. Palestinia, Alabama, Rotzlock, Poland, Marysville, Washington, Powell, New Jersey. And a big shout out to Matthew DeFleury on YouTube, the space cadet, for contributing to this week's cheese fund. I will explain later. I promise. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped 10 minutes of show material tops. Let's get those calls in. Now, usually I start with the news before I start taking calls, but I happen to have a voicemail that totally coincidentally lines up with it, exactly what I was going to say. But first, I want to tell you a little bit something. I might sound a little bit different. I do not have my usual microphone in front of me. I'm actually wearing this massive, clunky gamer headset thing. Long story. My microphone is in another room right now because I have some exciting news to share with you. My new book, How to Die in Space, is coming out this June. Did you know about my new book? My new book is coming out this June. It's called How to Die in Space, A Journey Through Dangerous Astrophysical Phenomena. It will be available in bookstores nationwide and online retailers like Amazon on June 2nd. And there's going to be an audiobook. And I did audition, and I did get to be the reader for the audiobook. Now, usually authors don't read their own books, but I'm not the usual kind of author, am I? So I get to read my audiobook. I get to read my audiobook normally from a studio in Manhattan. That's obviously not happening. After some tests with the audio team and various recordings, they decided that the best place for me to do my recording is my bedroom closet. So, 
Next week, I will be spending every day, all day, in my closet with a director on Skype recording my audiobook. And so that studio space is all set up because we're still running tests this week. So I don't have my good, nice microphone that I usually use for the broadcasts. Instead, I have this giant clunky gamer headset. And if you're just listening to audio, go to YouTube, go look up Space Radio on YouTube, and you can you can see I'm I'm totally Princess Lay here, and it's glowing and it's really interesting, and I'm having a good time with it. That's How to Die in Space. There will be an audiobook read by me, and it is going to be awesome. And it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Now, I wanna, I'm want to. i going to get to the question here. I have a cool question from Pia, and it's going to lead into the news story, but I'm going to let it lead into the next segment. We're just going to play loosey-goosey here, all right? Because it's just one of those nights, and we're all going a little bit stir-crazy here in lockdown. So, Greg, I think you're ready. Play the tape. Hi, Paul. This is Pia from Copenhagen, Denmark. I have a couple of questions about dark energy. I just read that the universe might not be expanding at the same rate in all directions. I'm wondering, if this is true, does it mean that the dark energy is stronger in the faster expanding parts of the universe? And maybe there's even different types of dark energy with different capacities, some weaker and some stronger? Or does it mean there's just more dark energy in these parts? And also, won't this uneven rate of expansion twist and turn the fabric of space-time? Thank you for your time. Oh, fantastic question, Pia. And it, like I said before, it perfectly aligns with what I was going to talk about in the news. So let's go right to the next segment. Greg, play the, the music bumper thing. All right, so... Before the little bump, we got a question from Pia that in Copenhagen that directly aligned with the topic that I was going to talk about in the news anyway. So I'm just going to jump right in. It's all a flutter. All the news outlets are reporting this, and it is driving me crazy, okay? Here's the thing. We know that we live in an expanding universe. Cool, cool, cool. We're all cool with that. One of our major assumptions in cosmology, the study of the universe, is that the universe is what we call isotropic, which means no matter which direction you look, the universe looks mm, pretty much the same. You know, there might be a, a, a little bit different galaxy over here versus over there, but but statistically, on average, it doesn't really matter where you look. You end up with pretty much the same universe. This is part of what we call the cosmological principle. It's one of the underlying assumptions of our study of the universe. It's what allows us to understand things like the Big Bang and in the history of the universe. Now we have performed. If we don't just like take this assumption for granted and then walk away. No, 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 no. This is science. We actually work for our dinner. We've studied this. We've tested this. We've performed large surveys to try to study the isotropy of the universe. As far as we can tell, the universe is isotropic. Now, our surveys are not complete. Our studies are not done. There are some things we don't fully understand. When we do some of the deep surveys, and I participated in some of these surveys, 
there were little little things that seemed to stand out that maybe the universe was a, a little bit hotter on one side than the other, for example. Enough to maybe make us scratch our head. I'll say it that way. Scratch our head, but, mm, you know, not really worry, not really keep us up at night. And so every, I don't know, every six to 12 months, a paper comes out saying, hey, guys, we think the universe is an isotropic. Why do researchers want the universe to be, not be isotropic? Well, that would be a big deal. If you can be the one, if you can be the researcher or the research group to prove that the universe is not isotropic, is not the same in every direction, that'd be a big deal. You're instantly famous in a relatively small community, but that counts. The latest iteration is a paper doing a very, very, very complex and tricky analysis to arrive at a conclusion that our universe is not exactly the same in one direction or the other versus the other. What they did in this paper is to look at galaxy clusters. Galaxy clusters are the largest gravitationally bound structures in the universe. They are absolutely massive. They have thousands of galaxies or a thousand or more galaxies inside of them. They're big cities of galaxies. And these clusters of galaxies are also filled with gas. There's a hot gas that fills up the volume of these clusters. And it's so hot that this gas glows in x-rays. And so when we look at a distant galaxy cluster, we can see a little glow of x-rays. and Ooh, it's pretty. And what we found in galaxy clusters is that there's a relationship between how hot the gas is in the cluster and how bright it is in x-ray. There's a very distinct relationship between those two numbers. Astronomers really like relationships between two or more numbers because it hints at something more fundamental going on. What these researchers did was they chopped up their universe our universe into a bunch of different chunks and they looked at all the galaxy clusters over here like uh like a hundred over here and then a hundred over there and then a hundred down here within each group they looked at this relationship between the luminosity and the temperature and then they compared that relationship between the groups and they found that there was a slight difference they're claiming that this is a statistically significant difference I will get to that after the break, but they're claiming right now that this is a significantly different, that if you look at the clusters of galaxies in one direction, they behave a little bit differently than clusters of galaxies in another direction. Where do we go from here? Is our universe really lopsided? Is it really lumpy? As Pia asked, does this make an impact of our understanding of dark energy and the accelerated expansion of the universe? Well, you can find out after the break. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio, and this show is brought to you by you. Please go to patreon.com slash Sutter, or if you're on the live chat, you can drop money right here on the live chat. Matthew DeFleury did for the Cheese Fund. If you only listen to this on the audio, I feel bad for you because at the end of every live stream, I sample a brand new cheese every week. It is not a joke. I'm very serious about this. And today's cheese is brought to you by Matthew DeFlurry. Thank you so much. And I will see you after the break. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. I'm in the middle of a rant, okay? 
And we're just going to all have to take this ride because it's my show and I get to decide what to do. But eventually I will run out of steam and I will answer some Space Cadet questions from the chat. Before the break, we found out that according to a new study, the universe doesn't quite look the same in one direction as it does in the other. And this breaks a fundamental really understanding of our universe. If it's true, it's a massive deal. If it's true, I mean, if it, if it, the data are data and I'm never going to fight an overwhelming amount of data, this is not an overwhelming amount of data. The researchers claim that this is what's called uh, the a four sigma detection, which without getting into the mathematics of statistics too much is a certain threshold that I would classify as sort of kind of okay. This would be the minimum threshold worthy of actually writing a paper about. Why? And and they did they did a good analysis. I'm not knocking the researchers at all, except, you know, I'm knocking the researchers for 10 minutes straight. But I'm not really criticizing them as people or their work specifically. I'm saying that there's going to be a lot more to this study than initially meets the eye. This is one paper. This is one study. Four Sigma, if you want to be able to claim this as a detection, as a significant, then you really have to understand your measurements. Because if you make one mistake, if you let something slip by, if you do not really understand the data the way you claim to understand the data, then that Four Sigma just evaporates. Nancy Graziano is asking on the, from the Space Cadets on the live stream, isn't Six Sigma the norm for papers? Every paper is different. Every field is different. Usually scientists use, like to use Five Sigma. They like to use Five Sigma because, because even if you mess something up, even if you screw up your analysis, even if you forget something or miss something, Five Sigma gives you enough buffer to still be confident in your answer, even if you messed something up. Four Sigma is not enough. If these researchers made a mistake, if these researchers did not understand their data, if these researchers didn't do their analysis exactly right and understand everything they the way they want to understand it, that Four Sigma will get erased and what looks like on the surface a very interesting detection turns out out to be nothing, just noise, just statistics. That is why I am not too excited about this paper because it's quote only four sigmas. And on paper, that looks like a lot. But when you dig into the guts of serious research like this, of deep, deep, deep analysis into our universe, four sigma ain't nothing. That said, our universe could not be isotropic. It could be. We could be wrong about this whole isotropy thing. We don't know. I mean, we're pretty sure it's isotropic because we've done a whole bunch of other tests and all comes out isotropic. This one paper isn't going to change anyone's mind. If there's a growing body of evidence that there really is something here, then people's minds will be changed, of course. And we'll have to delve into a deeper understanding of cosmology. This might have implications for the growth of the universe or the Big Bang itself for our understanding of dark energy. 
I'm done. Okay. I swear. I'm done. I wasn't going to keep going, but I'm done. I should answer some space cadet questions. Thunderduck on YouTube is asking, do all magnetic fields affect all other magnetic fields? Do they reach out forever like gravity? Gravity, if you didn't know, extends to infinity. You can be on the other side of the universe and still feel a gravitational pull from something, from an object out there on the other side of the universe. Now that gravitational pull is going to be so tiny that it's basically zero. It's some ridiculously tiny fraction, but it's not zero. It is non-zero. Is that a sentence? It is now. But it's there. Thunderduck is asking, do magnetic fields behave the same way? The answer is yes. Magnetic fields, electric fields, light, these are all carried by photons. Photons are massless, which gives them infinite range. They get thinner and thinner and thinner, but they don't quite go away exactly like gravity. So yes, technically, all magnetic fields affect all other magnetic fields, but it only ever really matters when you're close. Orson Zed on YouTube is asking, why is the strong nuclear force such a maverick? Strong nuclear force is weird, okay? It has eight force carriers, which is a lot. It has very complicated interactions, only operates on small scales. We do not fully understand the strong nuclear force. We haven't mapped it out fully like we have the other forces. As to why it's such a maverick, well, you could ask why the other forces are mavericks. You know, electromagnetism is its own thing. Gravity is its own. It's not even playing the same game as the other forces. Weak nuclear force, well, who cares about weak nuclear force? But they're all mavericks in their own ways. But deep, 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 deep in the mathematics, all the forces represent certain mathematical symmetries in the universe. Certain fundamental symmetries that appear baked into the very nature of reality. And as you level up, the simplest symmetries are represented by electromagnetism. Then you add a new kind of mathematical symmetry, and that gets you the weak nuclear force. Then you add a new, more complicated kind of symmetry that gets you the strong nuclear force. And presumably, if you add an even higher level of symmetry, you also get gravity, but we haven't figured that part out yet. So strong nuclear force is complex because it is the – how do I say this? It is the third most complex kind of symmetry allowed in our universe. That's a cool sentence. I like that sentence. Moving on. Also, a space kid at Flippo is asking about this isotropic universe thing with x-rays. It's a hot topic. I'm glad I did an episode on it. So now all your friends were like, hey, guys, I think... You know, you're at a party, which you're not going to be at a party, but someday you'll be back at parties. You're at your Zoom party, and someone says, hey, I think the universe is an isotropic anymore. You say, oh, no, 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 not so fast because I'm smarter than that and I understand statistics. You're welcome for that gift. Larry Beckham also asking I'm, – I'm scrolling through the Space Cadets right now. I'm, I'm glad I did the rant. I'm glad I did the rant because Larry Beckham is asking maybe the universe has no event horizon. Listen, we can do a whole episode of what an anisotropic universe would look like. 
that episode is not going to be today's. It's because I got too busy ranting about sigmas and error bars and incomplete analyses. Because that's my jam. That's my jam. That's what I want to do. And I also want to eat some cheese. We're almost out of time today on Space Radio. But before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio. And this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. And here we are in the middle, or what we hope to be, the middle of the COVID-19 novel coronavirus pandemic, at least when it comes to the United States, at least when it comes to our most populated urban centers like New York. And I've seen a lot of discussion online. I've seen a lot of discussion in the news about the modeling, about how we're actually making predictions when it comes to coronavirus, when it comes to the spread and progression and containment of these diseases and, or this disease and how different models are producing different results. And some government entities are basing their decisions – which are major, major important policy decisions on some sets of models, while other governments, especially state governments, are using different models that give potentially different results. Ultimately, we'll find out what nature has in store for us and how right we were. What I'd be very interested in seeing is the evolution of the models. As the disease progresses, as we get rates of infection and rates of death, we get more and more data, and more and more data helps us calibrate the models further. You know, as as the hurricane starts to form and approach the the continent, you get a better picture of what the hurricane is going to do because you've had more and more time to study it, more and more data to put into your model, so you can get better and better results. So it'd be very interesting to me later, once this all plays out, to see how the early models compared to the late models. But these models are designed to take the current amount of data and offer projections. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Do they have a lot of uncertainties? They certainly do. They certainly have uncertainties. Are those uncertainties known? In many cases, yes. And so if you look at these plots like the ones produced by the IMHQ with the Gates Foundation, University of Washington, they have error bars like any good scientific plot should. Do the error bars really capture everything they don't understand? Probably not. So it'll be interesting to see for me what the error bars looked like early. They were large for sure. And if the actual path of the spread of the disease fits within those early error bars. That's just something I'm curious about. Models are useful. Models are flawed. Models are incomplete. But we've got nothing better. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of Space Radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by you. Go to spaceradioshow.com to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing Nancy Graziano for wrangling the Space Cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio 90.5 FM in Columbus for making this show possible. Catch the live stream every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Visit spaceradioshow.com for all the links and how to drop a voicemail and get on the chat you know what to do and of course thanks again space cadets for listening see you next week and remember science is for sharing end of transmission
365 Days of Astronomy podcast. The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the three. 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. <laughs>